Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. So here's a word that'll get the conversation going today. The word is leprosy. Leprosy. Let me how do you respond just to the just to the word leprosy? <clears throat> if you're like most people, you um you recoil in horror. Um, because that's like a legit response, right? And you say to yourself, why is Carmen talking about leprosy this morning? Well, uh leprosy's still a thing. Not just around the world, but in the United States of America. A couple hundred people every year diagnosed with leprosy. You say to yourself, what? Yeah, actually, the CDC has determined that uh, leprosy has reached the endemic stage in central Florida. It's crazy, right? Endemic means we just live with it. We just live with the reality of it. We don't have a hope of eradicating it. It's kind of come around um, and it's going to go around. Leprosy. You say to yourself, okay, I need a little more information so um, leprosy, I mean, you know, it comes to mind, right, because of the Bible. We, we know the healing story of Jesus and the leper. We know um, the absolute isolation and horror that people diagnosed with leprosy lived with in leper colonies, um, isolated from, uh, not from their families. They were not able to work. They were not allowed, obviously, to have any interaction um, with the religious community, it was a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Um, so let's do this. Matthew chapter 8 is where you want to turn and refresh yourself on the story. Um, Jesus came down from the mountainside and large crowds were following him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, if you've seen this episode of The Chosen, it is very, very dramatic, and I commend that to you. Um, this man's life was no life at all. Uh, a person diagnosed with leprosy uh, not only lived isolated from family and community, um, and obviously, therefore, utterly desperate, but they also had to announce that they had leprosy so that people would physically move away from them. And, and the word that they had to declare would mean today unclean. And so imagine, imagine that you uh, need to move, you know, physically through, through a community where everybody is walking. And as you walk, you are legally required to declare unclean, unclean, unclean unclean so that people can scurry away from you. Such had become this man's life. No one had touched him for God knows how long. Imagine how isolating and awful that would be. Not to mention the the pain 
um, he's experiencing because of the nerve damage being done by this particular bacteria. And he believes Jesus. And he makes his way to Jesus. And he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And what does Jesus do? You know, Jesus had the power to just say, be clean, (laughs) be clean. But Jesus wants to do so much more. He wants to restore this man in the ways that Jesus knows he's really hurting. So Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the man was cleansed of his leprosy. That story is in Matthew chapter 8, and I, I commend it to you. That This is one of those we should love to tell the story stories. Like, um, what, what did that mean for that man on that day? Um, what did it mean for his family? What did it mean for the religious community? What did it mean for all of those people who had been following Jesus around and still didn't understand who he was or what he was here to do? And why didn't Jesus heal all the people with leprosy? Like, like there, there were certainly still leper colonies, um, you know, after Jesus lived and died and rose again. Um, and there's still leprosy today. Circling back to the headline that, uh, that I'm reading, leprosy could be endemic in central Florida. Should you be worried? So, um, so that you'll be briefed in, uh, most of us, about 95% of people, have a natural immunity to leprosy. Why? Well, because it's been around for a really, really, really long time, and we've all probably by now been exposed to it at some level because it is a uh, a recurring um, bacteria that's just out there all the time. Um, Mycobacterium leprae is, uh, is, you know, it's like formal name, leprosy for short. It mainly affects the skin and peripheral nerves. Um, it is infamous for its visible symptoms, can cause uh, everything from skin discoloration to skin growths and ulcers, particularly on the soles of the feet, um, mild hair loss, all kinds of things, right? It, it's a, it, it can be a wasting disease. It can eat away at your skin. It progresses over time. And if it's left untreated, which, by the way, it's very simply treated today, was not very simply treated in the days of Jesus, um, it can be debilitating and sometimes deadly, Uh, And people typically contract leprosy through contact with an infected animal or a human being that carries the bacteria, but you can't get it through like casual contact. Like brushing up against a person with leprosy in the street would not have um, resulted in someone getting leprosy. But they didn't know that. And so they did know it was contagious. They just didn't know how contagious or what depth of of exposure a person would have to have. Um, So... Leprosy, still a thing. Do you love to tell the story of Jesus and the leper? Like that, let that be one of the stories that we, um, that we love to tell today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We're going to continue talking about um, the stories we love to tell, and in particular, the one story we love to tell. I also want to talk um, a little bit about the blood. Mm-hmm. What, what is it about the blood of Jesus that makes us whole? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. In 1951, a 31-year-old mother of five was diagnosed with cervical cancer. So, uh, 1951, America, um, 
hospitals. Many of them were segregated. Johns Hopkins Hospital was a segregated hospital at the time. And so 31-year-old Henrietta Lacks was treated but, um, but died as a result of her cancer and the surgery um, that she endured. During her surgery, um, cells were taken and then they were biopsied and without her consent. And you say to yourself, well, I feel like that probably happened a lot. Yeah, it probably did happen a lot. In this particular case, Henrietta, Henrietta Lacks's uh, cells were quite unique. They have since been used in over 75,000 research studies, leading to treatments for everything from IVF to the polio vaccine, cancer treatments, Parkinson's, HIV, AIDS, the, uh, the HPV vaccine that actually prevents people from getting the cancer that took her life. But in 1951, when Henrietta Lacks went into Johns Hopkins for treatment, she left behind five little kids who didn't get to grow up with their mom. And the scientific world gained on that day what would become the first, quote, immortalized human cell line. Think about that for just a moment. Um, HeLa, which is the name of this cell line in, you know, in acknowledgement of Henrietta Lacks, the HeLa cell line is the first, quote, immortalized human cell line, uh, grown endlessly from that day to this one for medical research. It's estimated that 10 million lives have been saved because of the research that has resulted from the cells derived from Henrietta Lacks. Um, and yet, until sometime in the 1970s, nobody even spoke her name. No, nobody even attached her name to all of these amazing discoveries. In 2013, um, her family, her descendants, reached an agreement with the National Institutes of Health that gave them some control over how um, the genome is now used, but did not grant the right to any potential earnings from future research. So just think about that. I mean, these were five little kids at the time um, with with a black mom. And so when we talk about um, when we talk about the justice system and we talk about you know things genuinely working out for the good of those um, who who in this country uh, maybe have not had access to all of the uh, advantages that or opportunities that others have had, um, this is a this is an important conversation happening in the culture. But I want to have a little bit different conversation about this quote-unquote immortalized bloodline. Just want you to think about that term for just a minute. And then I want you to think about the power of the blood. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com.
And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, I want to say a few more things about Henrietta Lacks. Um, So, again, she is the woman who in 1951 um, died as a result of cervical cancer during her treatment at Johns Hopkins Hospital. Um, Cells were removed and uh, biopsied and then um, used to develop what's called the HeLa line um, of cells. And it is the first immortalized human cell line. I just want you to think about that language for just a moment, the immortalized human cell line. Um, This is a woman whose blood has impacted 10 million lives directly. And and by extension, how many other millions and millions of lives? I mean, if you if you've received the polio, I mean, again, the list is really long. If you received the polio vaccine, like you owe it in part to Henrietta Lacks. Um, so, it it leads me to all kinds of uh, of thoughts, and um, I won't follow every single one of these mental thread lines very far. But just consider for a moment, like when you're offered a treatment, when you're um, when your physician suggests some sort of therapeutic intervention, do you ask whose blood was used, <laughs> whose whose blood was used to make this treatment or or drug or vaccine that you're about to give me? Like we started asking that question um, a number of years ago in relationship to fetal cells that were derived from abortions and then vaccines that were developed from those. I'm not sure that anybody along the way has asked um, in terms of the treatments that have been developed by the bloodline of this particular individual named Henrietta Lacks. And so it, it just leads to all kinds of conversations. But one conversation that we could have about this is that blood is blood and there's power in the blood. There's particular power in particular blood. Think for a moment about O negative type blood. Um, what do you know to be true about type O negative blood? Well, you know that it's a universal donor. And during an emergency transfusion, you know, if they don't know what blood type you are so that they can't type match you right then and there, they're going to give you blood type O, negative, because it has the lowest risk of causing you serious reaction. So if you're in need of a blood transfusion, do you stop and say, who gave this blood? Who was the blood donor of this blood? No, you, you take the blood. You take the blood. Well, Jesus is the ultimate universal donor of life-saving blood. He's the only truly immortal cell line. Like, there is power in his blood today, and it is the power to save. I'm thinking here about 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Not paid with gold or silver, which lose their value but paid with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Peter is nodding there uh, to the reality that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is a blood sacrifice. Leviticus 17.11 reveals that the basis of blood, or reveals the basis of blood sacrifice, the atoning power of blood to wash away the stain of sin. It's a strange truth, but it's true. From the ram in the thicket that God provided to save Isaac to 
the blood of the lambs used um, on the night of what we call the Passover to the blood of Jesus, God provides the sacrifice that is necessary. God provides the blood. It is an awful, awful picture in order that we might see just how awful sin really is and just how deadly. The whole Old Testament, um, the, the whole system of sacrifices um, is fulfilled in the blood of one man and his sacrificial death, and his name is Jesus. God achieved our full, complete, comprehensive redemption through the blood of Christ. There is power in the blood. And the benefits of the finished work of Christ continue to be, pl- to be applied to believers today. Think about the act of communion. It's a reenactment of the Last Supper of Jesus, but it is also um, this acknowledgement that those who eat his flesh and drink his blood appropriate by faith the benefits of his death, that we are saved. There is power in the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can my sin erase. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of works. Tis all of grace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Friend, I I am very happy that Henrietta Lack's family is finally being compensated for the gift that her blood has provided to millions and millions and millions, untold millions of generations of people. But I'm more concerned today that everyone ravaged by the disease of sin comes to receive the truly immortal cell line of the blood of Jesus. Because there really is power in the blood. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Have you entered through the narrow gate, through the one who is the way and the truth and the life? We're going to talk about the Narrow Gate Foundation and their ministry. Bill and Stacy Spencer are joining us. Good morning, Bill and Stacy. Oh, not yet. I'm so... See, this is... What am I supposed to be doing, Paul? Am I supposed to be saying we're going to be talking with them in just a minute? Yeah, something like that. It's called the tease. The tease. I'm so bad. I'm just like (laughs) moving into it. All right. Well, and here you go. Let me circle back around and make one more point about Henrietta Lacks because uh, Anne texted in on the text line, which you can do too. You can text me anything during the show, 877-933-2484. She says, thank you so much for sharing the story of Henrietta. It was very powerful. And, um... And so I'll just add one point to that. It really is an amazing story. And it occurs to me that if, if, if Henrietta Lacks had not had five children before she was 30 years old, we wouldn't be talking about her today because there would have been no one with her blood and therefore a claim to, uh, a claim to what has happened as a result of her blood. Nobody would have a claim to that. And so 
You have a claim to the blood of Jesus because you are a child of God. And so if you, um, if you haven't asked God to apply the blood of Jesus to you, that not only would your sins be washed away, but that you would become a brother and sister in Christ with this family of faith and therefore um, in the line to inherit everything, everything that God has for his children. Let me invite you to do that today. Um, so uh, we got a lot of young men and women, but we're going to focus here on young men. We got a lot of young men in the culture today who they just don't know who they are. I mean, it's a really confusing time to be a young man. Um, you know, on the one hand, culture is telling you, you, you got to be all these things. And on the other hand, it's telling you, you got to be all these other things. And, you know, you just don't even know, right? And so how, how do young men discover who they are? And then out of that grow into um, who they're going to be in a family, in a place of work, in our culture, in society writ large. Well, to help young men on that journey, Stacy and Bill Spencer um, are engaged in a ministry called Narrow Gate. And we wanted to lift it up and highlight it so that um, it's a ministry that started in their home and it's now um, helping young men discover a life that matters. And so we wanted to highlight it because they have opportunities for men 18 to 25 to join them um, and to explore who they are and discover God's best for them. And so we want to highlight it and we want to encourage you to talk with this opportunity about young men you know who might be a little lost today. So next up, Bill and Stacy Spencer and the Ministry of Narrow Gate. You're listening to Mornings of Carmen. Joining us now, Stacy and Bill Spencer um, from Narrow Gate. You can find what we're talking about today at narrowgate.org. Good morning, friends. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So, where is this narrow gate, and who walks through it? <laughs> well, that's a tricky question, isn't it? Um, where is the narrow gate? If you're speaking biblically, we know exactly who that is. His name's Jesus, and how you walk through it's a a pretty standard prescription. But if you're asking where our property is, we're in Middle Tennessee, uh, south of Nashville, a good distance, a good distance enough that cell phones don't work where we live. We've got about 120 acres of property south of Nashville, and it's a great retreat to get away and ask a couple of pretty definite questions that every young man needs to know the answer to. Who am I and why am I here? So, Stacy, is it actually possible to know that? Is it possible to know who you are and why you're here? Absolutely. You know, Carmen, I, Bill and I are in our uh, mid-50s, and growing up, like many people, we found out who we were and why we're here uh, by looking at the culture. And it wasn't until both of us had an encounter with Christ and the Word of God that we discovered who we are and why we're here. It goes way beyond um, making a living, choosing a career path, making decisions about college. Uh, there are much deeper questions to be asking about who I am and why I'm here. And we've discovered, as I'm sure many of your listeners have, that those answers are really only found in the text of Scripture. And so Narragate is a place where we help young men discover that too. Um, not every young man that comes to Narragate starts with a belief that Scripture is even valid or trustworthy. 
So we start all the way at the beginning and uh, we accept young men wherever they are on their faith journey. And we help them to build a foundation of faith um, that that trusts the scripture for being that source of truth. And then when they open the word of God and discover what God has to say to them about who they are and why they're here, it's transformative. I know that uh, you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, hey, where now that I know a little bit more about it, where did Carmen say I could find it? Narrowgate.org. Narrowgate.org. Um, uh, this is extraordinary. It is such a gift. It's such a blessing. It's um, it's long. Like you're not talking about, you know, a weekend or even a, a week or even a month. You're, you're talking about something that um, that takes some time, which is legit. Like that feels legit to me. T- talk about this process. Um, uh, you know, a, a young man once I mean, he's he's at a point in life that could look like what? Because I think that the diversity of the guys who you have met over the course of time and who have walked this journey with you um, or with whom you have walked their journey, probably better said, um, there's a really diverse group of people. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe even reach into um, uh, one of these stories and like, tell us, tell us a story of, of, of a young man so that we can get a sense of what's going on. Yeah, let's let's deal with the middle part of that question first. You're talking about the diversity of the young men that we deal with. A lot of times people ask us, so do you work with troubled youth? Okay, first off, we take guys 18 to 25. So technically, they're not youth anymore. They're adults. And it has to be their choice to come. And the second part of that question, do we work with troubled young men? We figure anybody that doesn't already know who they are and why they're here in this world, they're kind of in trouble because they're going to walk aimlessly through life for a while. Uh, to give you a story of, of one young man, and please understand, this is not typical of every young man. Every guy's story is as individual as the guy who shows up. But we had a young man who was absolutely brilliant in school, like, a, like an academic uh, savant almost, an incredibly talented writer. But he couldn't figure out how to take that academic accomplishment and apply that in life in a way that he really, truly succeeded and felt fulfilled. And it got desperate enough for him that he was riding around one night in his pickup truck and called his uncle, who lived a couple towns away in Texas. And his uncle said, hey, what are you doing? He said, I'm trying to figure out a reason that I should wake up and be here tomorrow morning. Mm. And his uncle said, she point that pickup truck my direction and we'll have breakfast and talk about it. So he drove through the night, wound up in a little town in West Texas where we happened to be speaking and, and talking to some parents about you know, what they could do to get their get their adult young adult sons headed the right direction. And we got introduced to this young man. He chose to come to Narragate, which is an eight month process. And we can talk a little bit about why it's eight months, you know, why we, why we do what we do and how we do it. Cause birth and rebirth take a long time. <laughs> yeah. Nine, nine months to cook them up the first time. So it doesn't, doesn't, it's not surprised to me. It takes, it takes eight months to recook them. It's okay. I mean, Carmen, if you think about it, Jesus spent three years with the 12 guys Amen. that we have gospel, right? So we look at guys and tell them eight months is just a good start. Like that's that's just a place to, to get a mind. That, that's what we discovered is the length of time necessary to get a shift in mindset and in practice that's durable, something that can actually last going forward. This young man, to finish the story out, uh, came to Narrowgate, wound up working here in Middle Tennessee for a while, moving back to West Texas is now married, 
has a couple of beautiful children and works uh, as a local firefighter. And I have absolutely no doubt will wind up being the, the fire chief of the, the town where he lives before it's all over with, because he discovered what God said about who he is and what God said about why he's here. And he's living out that calling to serve his community and serve his family. All right. If you go to visit narrowgate.org and you, you click around a little bit, you'll see all kinds of um, amazing resources um, and you'll see coffee and you'll see leather. There's all kinds of things going on. It's not like you're just sitting in Bible study for eight months. Can you talk a little bit about what happens at uh, Narrowgate Lodge? Sure, sure. What we've discovered over the past 20 years, it's hard to believe, uh, Carmen, but Narrowgate's about to be 20 years old. Um, God did a, a move in our lives 20 years ago, and we started inviting young men to move into our home. At that point, it was a three-bedroom, two-bath house. And uh, over the past 20 years, we've had over 500 young men that have come to live with us. So I like to joke around and say that I, I can say that I'm a woman who've li- who's lived with over 500 men. <sighs> But anyway, uh, it's been in a good, good cost, uh, Christian way. Don't worry. But here at Narrowgate, we um, over the um, over the course of the unfolding of what Narrowgate was going to be, because it's been an evolutionary process for us over the past twenty years. Uh, we discovered that a lot of young men um, learn kinesthetically, and so putting their hands to a task. Um, for men to be able to build and create things um, just helps them to explore the image of God inside of them to be creators, to be builders, to be makers. And so we created a wood shop, a leather shop, a metal shop here on our property. And we have a sawmill as well. And the guys learn how to use all of that equipment. They discover creativity in the wood shop. Uh, Guys who have never worked with tools get the opportunity to work with tools. And as they did that, they started creating beautiful products um, that some other people suggested maybe we consider starting a little business. So we started a little business. Uh, Those businesses have grown. That was over 10 years ago. And those little businesses are no longer little. We added a coffee roasting business to it a few years ago. So we do have a leather business, a coffee business, and a very successful uh, woodworking business. Uh, We ship products all across the country. uh, And uh, it's a way for us to tell the story of Narragate, but also provide employment opportunities to graduates uh, they're actually running the companies. Bill and I do not run the companies. Our graduates are leading these companies, and they're learning how to make disciples in the workplace. So disciple-making doesn't just happen in the church or at the at the church building. Disciple-making should happen as, a, as an aspect of every one of our lives. And we can do disciple-making in the workplace. And so we have our graduates modeling that and doing that uh, right here in Middle Tennessee with those, with those businesses. It's just so exciting and so extraordinary. Um, again, you're, if you're listening right now and you're like, I need to know more. I've got a guy I want to recommend. I maybe want to introduce him to some resources. All of that is available at narrowgate.org. You can also um, check it out on Facebook, Narrowgate Foundation, if you're going to look for it on um, on Facebook. Um, let's, um, let's circle back uh, here in just a moment. Uh, Bill and Stacy, and let's tell more stories because I think that as people begin to understand, you know, who shows up, who, um, who then, you know, eight months later lives, leaves a different person. Like it just, it helps us 
to know the stories. And so would you tell us another story in just a moment? Maybe one of the ones that's included in the Discover a Life That Matters book, because I think that those 20 stories, you know, that's such a great thing to put in the hands of a guy who we might be introducing to this as an opportunity. Those 20 stories, I think, really provide like a vision for what might happen for for him. Could we could we do that in just a moment? Absolutely. Happy to. All right, we're talking with Stacy and Bill Spencer. One of the books available um, at the Narrowgate website, which is narrowgate.org, is Discover a Life That Matters. And we're going to hear one of those stories up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at Anytime, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio Live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. There's no question that as you uh, look around today, you recognize that uh, we got a lot of young men who, by some definitions, are failing to launch. Um, another way of understanding that is that they they haven't been exposed um, in a way that they can apprehend. Um, they haven't been exposed to the truth of who they are, to their identity. And if you don't know who you are, then you're just going to flail around. Um, and so... How do we as Christians intervene and how do we offer um, an experience through which uh, a young man might come to understand who he is and therefore what in the world he's in the world to do and then walk that out um, into the world as a person who knows they're loved by God um, purposefully on mission for him. So that is um, a synopsis of what takes place through Narrowgate, and you can find them at narrowgate.org. Bill and Stacy Spencer are here with us today. Uh, Narrowgate was founded in their home uh, 19 years ago now, uh, and since then, more than 500 young men, 18 to 25, um, have walked through this particular Narrowgate at Narrowgate Lodge and walked back out into the world as different men. So, um, Bill, why don't you take us into one of the stories that we hear in the Discover a Life That Matters book, because that chronicles 20 stories of of these young men. Yeah, it was hard to pick 20, I promise you. After having 500 young men that we consider as sons in the faith, it's tough to pick 20, but uh, it was a good place to start. I I think I need to say this before we get into this story, Carmen. The, the thing that makes Narrowgate work is the fact that we're instructed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that how we think is going to have a direct dictate on how we act. I think everybody that's, that listens to your show every day, is they can re- associate with the fact that when you wake up in the morning, you step into a routine that you're familiar with. The you know Grab a cup of coffee, the cell phone you grab, the clothes you wear, the car you drive, all of those things you do because you believe that's who you are. But the question you have to ask is, where did you learn that? Who taught you that? You know, you can go back to Genesis when, when God is walking through the garden and he calls out to Adam and Adam's hiding. He says, where are you? He says, I'm hiding. And God says, why? 
the first existential statement ever made by man about man is made right there. He says, because I am naked. And God's response is, oh, who told you that? Where did you get that? The inference being, you didn't get that from me. So that's who we deal with. We deal with the collection of young men who have been told by society, this is who you are and how you should act. Does that make sense so far? Totally, 100%. Yes. Okay. So second guy that ever moved in our house. I mean, we're going we're gonna to run back and see if this thing is durable, if it actually lasts long term. The second guy that ever moved in our house is a guy named Rob Rogers. Rob was raised by fantastic parents. His dad was, a, was one of the, the top echelon leadership coaches in the world globally. Just a fantastic home, loving parents. They didn't go to church. They weren't Christian. They weren't believers. Uh, Rob bit into society's apple, if you will, and wound up going to seven different drug rehabilitation facilities through the course of his young life, one of which was actually an 11-month wilderness therapy program. But because all of them were just, you know, psychological training or behavior modification programs, none of them actually in the at the end really changed who he was. They just changed some of his behaviors. When we met him, once again, he had dipped his toe off into that water. He wound up moving into our house to make the story short. Um, we gave him a job in the little company that we were running at the time. Eventually asked him what they wanted to do with their life. There were two guys living in our house. Rob was one of them. And they said, we want to help young men like us. 19, 20-year-old men figure out who they are and why they're here. We told them we didn't think there was any way to do that without the gospel, without Jesus being at the center of it, because God dictates the identity of every believer. There's 17 verses in the New Testament about Christ in me, and they're fantastic verses. Christ in me, the hope of glory, right? There are 10 times as many passages about me and Christ, and every one of them is a defining verse. So what happens if Rob wakes up and believes that he's the righteous, redeemed, sanctified, set apart, made for good work, led in triumph, servant, saint, and son of God? That's how he's going to act. And that's exactly what happened to Rob. He became a believer after about two weeks of study through this truth of the gospel, this transformative truth. Within one year, his life was so transformed that his father, his mother, and both of his sisters became believers in Christ. He led his entire family back to Jesus. And today is the pastor of a church here in Middle Tennessee that has about 5,000 members. Mm. So does it work? It absolutely works. His calling happened to be in vocational ministry. We don't make vocational ministers. We make disciples of Jesus that ask God, who do you say I am and why did you put me in this world? And then they step into that calling and we support it 100%. Uh, again, we're talking with Stacy and Bill Spencer narrowgate.org, um, place you want to turn if you've got a young man in your life, 18 to 25, and you think to yourself, I think, um, I think the guy I know could benefit from this kind of experience. What's that process, um, Stacy? if there's somebody listening right now and they're like, I, 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 I got a guy? That's awesome. Well, you know what? That's uh, 95% of the young men that come to Narrowgate find out about it just like that, word of mouth. So it's definitely sharing the Narragate story or what you've heard with others is a first step. But once they go to the website, it's really easy. There's an online application that we ask guys to fill out. Narragate, I also want to point out, uh, Carmen, is tuition-free. We are blessed uh, abundantly uh, with very generous uh, partners and uh, churches that make Narragate tuition-free. So 
a young man's economic background or status is irrelevant to us. Um, but all they have to do is fill out an application and then someone from our team will contact them. We'll do a couple of series of interviews. And what we're doing in those interviews is really just discerning is Narragate a place where this young man is going to thrive? Because what we don't want to do is bring a young man here and have him have a negative experience. We're trying to create positive experiences for these guys to build a, a, a successful life. So Narragate isn't the right place for every young man, but to find out if it's the right place for a young man you might know, you can start at the website for sure. All right. That um, that is amazing. I think there are people listening right now who were thinking, yeah, I, I, I loved this idea, but I couldn't imagine that we could ever afford it. And now uh, you've just heard it's tuition free. Narrowgate.org. Narrowgate.org. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, about capacity. Like um, if a young man were to come you know, just describe what that experience is like. It's no longer just, you know, you and like two guys in the extra bedroom. (laughs) No, it's grown a little bit since then. Um, We start a class of five every 60 days. So every other month we start a class of five. But sometimes we have exceptions. Uh, We find an exceptional student. So we'll take six or even seven in a class. So we work with 30 to 36 young men through the course of a year. We're very, very targeted. We know who we're looking for and how to find them. And we know that once we've accepted a young man, he has a 90 plus percent chance of graduating from the program, even though it's very, very difficult, just because he's built, like Stacy said, to thrive in this environment. So making that first phone call, filling out the application and letting the interview process succeed, you know, let that let that start. That's really where we need to begin. Then we're going to couple him together with four or five other young men because we believe, you know, from what we can tell, that what the Spirit shows us in the Scriptures is that the church is interdependent. We're the body of Christ. You know, the foot can't say to the hand or the ear can't say to the eye. So we create a scenario of interdependence where young men start uh, in an outdoor environment. They, they live up on what we call the hill. They have everything they need for a, a great camping experience. But they're living outdoors, working outdoors, learning outdoors, living outdoors, cell phones, digital communication. That's taken away for a while so that they can actually do this odd thing called communication. You know, they can sit around a campfire at night and get to know each other. And although they're very different in personality, what they learn is that they're very complementary and very necessary in personality. Friendships form that last the rest of life. And that cohort moves together through this eight-month experience. So at any given time, we have four different cohorts of, of individuals, four different classes moving through. The senior, the senior students are actually helping to teach the junior students, and we're overseeing the whole thing and praying our guts out while it happens. It's just, it's amazing and extraordinary. Hey, we're going to pray for you before, um, before we let you go today. God, thank you so much for Stacy and Bill. Thank you for um, planting this seed in their heart so many years ago. Thank you for the more than 500 young men who have walked through um, this particular narrow gate and and are now walking in a way that's so pleasing to you. Encourage Bill and Stacy in this ministry. Continue to pour out all the resources that are necessary for the accomplishing of your will in and through them. And uh, and thank you, uh, Father, for the lives being transformed even today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank, Thank you, you so much. What what a delight. What a delight. Um, all right. Um, prayers today for you as you're um, as you're listening. Um, and yeah, one uh, one headline and prayer concern today. 
The former president of the United States is expected to appear this afternoon to be arraigned in federal court in D.C. So um, prayers for that as we close out our time together. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.